All right. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to A Minor Detail. My name is Ryan Miner. You're listening to A Minor Detail Radio on blogtalkradio.com. And I hope everybody had a nice and happy Thanksgiving. I know I did. I hope everybody had their <laughs> their fill of turkey and all that stuffing and sweet potato. Kim, what did we have? We had yeah. turkey, sweet potato, pumpkin pie. <laughs> We cut lemon meringue pie. Kim made Kim made a whole bunch of stuff, and uh, she she uh she, she's still eating pumpkin pie here. Yeah, she just had a piece. So well, anyway, I hope everybody had a safe and happy holiday. We played the annual game of Monopoly at our house, so that was a lot of fun, and we called it quits this year a little earlier. In fact, last year. We we went well into uh, we went well into let's see like four o'clock in the morning, but I think we quit around one, and that was when of course they had to admit that I was the winner. So <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The kids had a blast. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Monopoly and food uh, tonight. I have a very special guest with me. She is running for Montgomery County Council at large. Her name is Brandy Brooks, and I'm really excited to have Brandy because she is a phenomenal person. She's my new friend in Montgomery County politics, and I think you're really going to enjoy what she has to say. So, Brandy, I want to welcome you for the first time to A Minor Detail Radio. Thanks for coming on tonight. Thank you so much, Ryan. And hi, Kim. I'm really jealous because I love pumpkin pie, and I honestly think you guys should have just invited me over so I could have some. Oh, you're welcome anytime. (laughs) You're welcome. We. You're 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 welcome to come over at any time and and hang out with us. We'd love to have you. And if you if you can oh, cook, because we can so barely cook, we're we're just like hanging on. But no, we went to my parents' house, and uh, well, my uh, <laughs> my family's house, and so we got to see my grandparents and got to see some extended family. It was it's always nice, and so we we get together, and it's not it's not too big of, of a celebration. There wasn't more than twenty people, but. Small, intimate family gatherings, that's what it's all about. It really is, especially around this time of the year. And we decorate the house and get get the kids ready for the holidays, and then we get our trees. So it's uh, we get into Christmas at, in our house, so we're we're happy about that. So, but that's we'll talk very about you. cool. Are you guys fully decked out? Well, not yet. We were we were in CVS yesterday afternoon. Kim and I did. We went over to. To, to grab a few items. And we also made the big mistake yesterday of going to Walmart. And I don't know if you've ever been to Walmart on the, in the aftermath of Black Friday, but we went on like Simple Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a oh, mess. Wow. We, went the, we went to the Walmart up in uh, Germantown. And it was a total mess. I had to go buy, in fact, I had to go buy a set of headphones because my old headphones had had basically worn themselves out. I used them so much mm-hmm. and I went and found this great deal. And so I, I got a new set of headphones, but um, it was a mess and the traffic was terrible. And then we went to CVS and what I was getting at is that we saw this like little menorah and you can put candles inside of it. So I'm going to, I think we're going to celebrate oh, wow. Hanukkah this year too. Um, we're not Jewish. We're, okay. we're, we're Catholic. So yeah, it's uh we're unique in our family, but that's okay. We we value and um and celebrate all 
religions and try to understand the meaning behind them. So that's important for our kids, especially here in Montgomery mm-hmm. County, as, di- as diverse as it is here. So, um, Absolutely. So let's get into it. You are running for an at-large seat on the the county council. So I'd like to the first talk. Most people are going to ask you about your positions on issues, and that's vitally important. But I'm I'm really just interested in in the candidates themselves and who they are as individuals. What makes them unique? What's going to make you stand out in this incredibly crowded field? As we know, there are four seats yep. that are up for grabs this time and there's one incumbent that is running who is running again and there's what's the count up to now brandy do you know i think we are at 28 officially that was the last time that we checked on the stats yes 28 that's a lot of people that's that's a that's a lot a lot of people so you are running yeah. in a candidate field and for the for the first time is that correct this is your first time at running for public office. This is my first time running for elected office. Yes. Okay. And so you're going to have an opportunity to present yourself as unique, fresh, and you can really stand out in a crowd like this um, for several reasons. And that's why I invited you on because I think you're one of those very unique candidates. In fact, I think all the candidates who are running have something certainly unique to offer. And that's what we're going to do on this show tonight. I'd like to unwind who you are, how you got involved, and how you arrived at the decision to run for county council. And so I was on your website, Brandy for Montgomery, that's B-R-A-N-D-Y for Montgomery.com. And you said that you and your family, you planted your roots here in Montgomery County. You moved to the county in 2015 so you can support one another. And I remember in our first meeting, you had relayed to me that you – have a very um, kind of a, a, a unique family arrangement and a, a very interesting one at that, that you are currently, um, you live with your mom, your sister, your brother-in-law, and your niece, and you write on your website that you've been able to tackle childcare, job issues, and uh, you also mentioned a severe car accident, um, and you could have done none of this alone. So, Brandy, where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about your background, what you've been doing for the, the last few years of your life, and how you arrived at taking on this monumental feat of running for your first time at public office. Yeah, so thank you, Ryan. This is, it's really great to be able to, to chat with you. And, you know, it's funny, running in this crazy field of, of 28 people sounds a little bit wild, but... It, it actually kind of makes sense for me in a way because I, I always do things that are a little bit unusual. Uh, and I also actually really love democracy. And so even when I look at this race and the challenges of being in a field of 28 people, I get excited because there's clearly this huge momentum for people to want to get involved um, in what's going on in our county, in what's going on in our country right now. And it really excites me to be a part of that because talking about like how we build our communities and talking about what it means to participate in the world that we live in is something that has always been a part of my family growing up. So I was, I was born up in Massachusetts, uh, but in a lot of ways, I think 
my family story matches a lot of the stories that you hear um, from other people here in Montgomery County. Um, I'm the oldest of four siblings, and we're all girls. And, um, you know, we used to just do all the things that, that kids do and being crazy siblings and, you know, half the time having a great time with each other and dancing around, singing songs, and half the time, like, fighting with each other like cats. So, you know, the, the typical family stuff there. Um, but the other piece that was always a part of our family was actually just, like, talking about the world that we lived in, talking about um, what it meant to be African-American in this world, talking about my parents' experiences of going to college during the time of affirmative action and how they struggled with how they were received and perceived um, in you know, when they both went to, to college at Brown and what that was like for them and how that shaped what they wanted to see for their kids and for their families. So, you know, questions about education, questions about justice, and questions about, like, building good places for your family where you can really have a sense of belonging um, have always been a huge part of our family conversations. And, you know, even looking at, at our household now with my mom and me, and Michelle and Doogie and London, one of the things you discover kind of canvassing is that that's actually not an unusual household for Montgomery County. There are a ton of multi-generational households, like people from different parts of the family who come together and like want to build something beautiful and, and support their whole family community here in Montgomery County. And, you know, that's kind of always been the way that my family has operated, even going through my parents separating and divorcing, my mom being a single parent, um, all of us sort of struggling through the, the economic challenges of that, and then also each one of us girls in the family going on to figure out our career path and our educational path, this question of how we come together to support each other, to share resources, and like to work out, just to work out the challenges of being family and being in a community together, which meant sometimes having some really knock down drag out fights <laughs> which is which is hard but it also meant um figuring out how you work through the really tough stuff about deciding to be in relationship with one another and deciding to maintain your relationships and to care for one another through through hard times like my mother's um car accident which is you know two two years ago next month and just seeing you you learn all these things when you go through those kinds of struggles as a family about, I don't know, who you want to be in the world and who you want to be in relation to other people. And for me, that wasn't just a personal thing about who I want to be in my family, but it was also about who I want to be in the world and those same principles of how we care for each other, how we share our resources, how we pay attention to the forces in the world that are that we're all wrestling with, and then what we do to to make this world better. Uh, this is something that through my family, through my faith, uh, has been a theme throughout all of my life. So in a lot of ways, running for office, it feels like a very natural next step in taking all of these things that I've learned from my family, all of these things that I've been doing as, in advocacy and organizing for many years and being able to, to put them into practice in in an elected office. When you were in Massachusetts living there, what 
what kind of work were you doing? Were you doing in anything inside of grassroots organization? Were you involved in any sort of politics up in New England? Yes, I I worked a little bit at the intersection of both. I worked a lot with nonprofit organizations that focused on um, land use planning, on community planning and design, and then on um, planning for uh, food systems, for like urban agriculture and community gardens, but also where grocery stores are and how do people start food businesses. So that's kind of in my background is looking at how the way that we use land, the way that we decide how to develop, the way that we decide how to build housing, how to do open space, like how that shapes our lives and our communities. And that was actually how I first got connected to local government. I was running a nonprofit community design center, which was basically an organization that connected architects and interior designers and landscape architects with community organizations and public agencies um, to help do pro bono work um, to get different design projects started. And one of these projects ended up being in my home community of Somerville. And we started talking about uh, the planning process for the neighborhood where I lived. And in doing that, I started getting to know the folks in the planning department and getting to know more uh, about the folks who were on our board of aldermen. And for a lot of times before that, government was kind of this thing that was sort of in the background and you had to go vote because it was your civic duty. Um, but back then, it didn't really feel very alive to me. And then I started getting to know these public officials and getting involved in some of the ways that they were doing planning and decision making. And it was amazing. I finally felt like a citizen of my community in this much deeper sense. And I went on to be part of the comprehensive plan steering committee made up of residents and business people and advocates in our community who uh, redid our city's comprehensive plan back in 2011. And then I served on the zoning board for the city of Somerville after that. And it just, it made me feel so grounded in the place that I lived. And I, and I felt, I don't know, I felt like I had the power to shape what happened in my community. You know, so if I was really concerned about affordable housing or how development was going, I was actually in places and spaces where I could help decide how that was going to be addressed. And that made a huge difference to me. And it got me tremendously excited about local government. Um, I think so often we sort of look at what's going on at the national level, sometimes at the state level, and, you know, things go on there, but we're not really connected to them. Local government is where so much of, like, policy and politics hits the, hits the ground for all of us oh, in I, our daily lives. And it's the I agree. easiest place to get involved. Yeah. Oh, and I think your, your experience in Massachusetts is so relevant to and applicable to what you want to do here in Montgomery County as far as planning. That mm-hmm. is a major issue in our yeah. community. And it's how we are planning our communities. How does planning affect our infrastructure? how it affects our schools, yeah. how it affects our, you know, our roads. Do we have the, the net, the, the infrastructure in place in our communities and the wide diverse community here in Montgomery County is, uh, and that is a, such a unique issue. Zoning is another um, fundamental mm-hmm. local government issue that when you, if you walk into it without having too much knowledge, then, you know, it, it could be a, it, a bit of a struggle to to understand it because that is so 
complex and in a in a community <laughs> in a county the largest county in the state of Maryland a million and mm-hmm. I think it's one in 1.1 million people that's more than yep. i think certain states that's more than the state of yeah. montana wyoming somewhere around there so you are up mm-hmm. against quite a an opportunity here and montgomery county and in full disclosure, I haven't lived in Montgomery County my entire life, so um, a lot of these issues are new to me as well. And that's the point of this show is to have a discussion with thought leaders, and you're one of those. You're a thought leader, and that's why you're running for office. And it's certainly an, an enticing time to jump into the arena given what is happening all over the place. And as I've said to other yes. guests who come on to a minor detail radio, and I say – and many women, candidate, candidates, um, in fact, we did a show a few weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, uh, with an organization called the House of Ruth. And Brandy, I don't know if you're um, familiar with oh, the organization. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, getting women out of domestic violence situations. And I'm volunteering my time on behalf of the organization to to raise money and to do what I can. And I'm really getting involved with that Um Hopefully, in the, the uh, at the beginning of the new year, and that's something that's very passionate mm-hmm. to me, and it's focused around women. And I think 2018 is the year of the woman. It really has to be, uh, given what it, is happening. It absolutely has to be. But when you when you saw, and I and I'll I'll dive, I'm going to digress here for just a moment. So listeners, um, I promise we're going to get into some of these issues and a little bit more into Brandy's background, but. I was when when the 2016 election occurred, um, I wasn't excited about Hillary Clinton, to be honest with you, Brandy. It wasn't like, oh, gee, you know, here's this all star candidate who is young and fresh and has all these new, unique, progressive or libertarian ideas that is going to change our country. No, it was quite the opposite. It was, well, we know who she is Mm. and. We're going to take it over the alternative, and it just didn't happen. Now, for the first time in my life, I voted for a female Democrat, and um, well, for president, that is. I'm sure I voted for Mm -hmm. other female Democrats, but um, I voted, (laughs) you know, as coming from a former Republican, I voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016. There was no other choice, there just wasn't another choice. In fact, that was my patriotic responsibility to my country, given Hillary's flaws, given her, um, the baggage that she carried. And there was meant, there was much to talk about in that arena, but there was no contest between the two candidates. And the day after the inauguration occurred, hundreds of thousands of people, thousands and thousands of women descended upon our nation's capital to protest the election um, or to yeah. highlight, uh, to bring to mind some of the issues that women are fighting for, you know, and it's very basic stuff in 2017, 2018, um, equal pay um, to be treated with yeah. respect and dignity. And so you, you see an emergence of women and we just saw it in, in Virginia. You had mm-hmm. um, Danica, who I forget her last name. Yeah, she's a she's the first um, transgendered female woman 
who was elected and beat the guy that like authored trans- anti-transgender legislation. That's progress. Right. That is progress. And we and see she it happening. On, and she ran on transportation. So this was part of the beautiful thing uh, with Danica. I think it's Danica Rowan, but it, she, she ran right. not on like you need to elect me because I'm transgender or you need to elect me because I'm a woman. She ran on, look, transportation is a massive issue for Virginia. We've got to deal with it. <laughs> and I think right. part of – Part of this complexity of this time is that it's both recognizing that we have this massive imbalance, and it's, you know, it's true in Maryland, it's true in Montgomery County, as far as representation of, of women um, in so many of our legislative bodies, but also a recognition that we need to start paying attention to women as full people who are fully capable of discussing all of the issues that matter in our communities. Like this is part of I think what's so frustrating is that in in discussions about the representation of women, sometimes it gets sidelined into, okay, well we need to do this because of reproductive rights or we need to do this because of fair pay. And and those things are true. We need to protect reproductive rights. We need to make sure that fair pay and equal wages are are, are happening all across the board. And we're also just not utilizing half of our population effectively, which is dumb. <laughs> so so yeah. I think part of what I loved about that win is that it was both about gender and absolutely not about gender. Right. It was, it was, it was a victory that I appreciated because it means that our country is slowly but surely moving forward in the right direction. Now with Hillary Clinton losing the presidency, I think that his – set our country back in a way that is certainly immeasurable at this time for the for the sole reason that Donald Trump has become president. That has been um, – it, it, our systems of democracy are under attack. The First Amendment, something that yeah. you and I both have talked about and hold dear, if without the First Amendment, I could never challenge a government official. I couldn't do what I'm doing mm-hmm. today, you know, writing and doing a podcast and an online radio show and uh, emerging into the media and starting my own media outlet to put out a message. This would not be possible without the First Amendment and the, the right not to have government infringe on my fundamental liberties mm-hmm. of expressing my opinion that is critical of our government officials or official. Yeah. So I see what's happening. And I saw again last night, and there's been numerous things that this president has done in the last 10 months that has made me shudder. And I think to myself, mm-hmm. every time that he does something, it it really bolsters me and, and my resolve to fight back. And this is coming from a guy that yes. was one time a, a conservative Republican. That's where I started out at. And then I moved and shifted. And I'm somewhere right in the middle with libertarian leanings and then progressive leanings. And so I have, uh, I'm sort of a mixed bag. And I, I wouldn't call myself an ideologue, but I definitely mm-hmm. am about compromise. I'm about making the deal that is best for for the community and finding a piece of public policy that is universally accepted and can work. And if that makes me a non-ideologue, fine. But I'm happy to be in an independent world. But this presidency truly is something that is remarkable that we haven't seen before. Every time that he tweets, 
that tweets against you saw it last night when he tweeted against CNN International mm-hmm. as a yeah. someone who aspires to be a journalist, someone who practices journalism in a format that is unique and um, and, and different from most traditional journalism. That is offensive. It's offensive to to people who stick their necks out on the line. I mean, Christian um, Christian Amiampour wrote a tweet that said, mm-hmm. you know, here's and she showed a picture of her. I think it was her producer or camera woman who got shot in the face covering a story over in the Middle East. And people, journalists, right. every single day around the world put their necks on the line to shed light on governments that have closed the door on democracy. And just like the Washington Post Absolutely. says, democracy, and- do- democracy dies in darkness. Every time that this president takes a swipe at the free press, he is essentially – he is watering down our the very institutions that make this country great. And I'm sorry, I don't buy into this make America great again crap. And forgive me for being passionate and emotional about this, but our country is already great. We have so many things to celebrate, and it's just a few – we have some tweaks to make to continue on the path to prosperity and not to speak in grandiose cliches. But, but seriously, I, I see this presidency is just really weakening – America standing in the world, but it's also brought out a unique candidate field of women and people who are now see that this cannot endure. This this presidency, if he even makes it through a first term, um, is unlikely to endure, and it's happening, and it's basically a trickle down. So Republicans want to talk about their economic plan. Well, let's talk about their the Republican candidate plan, and that's inspiring passionate women like yourself to get off the couch and get involved <laughs> and put out their names. And listen, it's no easy feat to be a candidate these days. And I'm sure, especially with a community of a million people, you have to be everywhere. You're talking to people that you've never talked to, and it's not easy to go up and just do that. Um, and you're a community no, organizer. But it's also this perfect time to do it because, so, you know, the, the question for me of, of Donald Trump is not a, a Republican versus Democrat issue. It is not a partisan issue. What offends me about him every single day is that we have elevated lies to the status of truth. And that just, that violates everything I believe in. It violates everything that I, that I know. It's just so, so, and I see people looking at that and saying, wait a minute, like there are limits. You can't, you can't, all of a sudden just sit here and say that things that are verifiably aren't true are my alternative version of the fact. And, and I think people have just said, no, th- this, is, this is our line, and we are going to figure out what to do to wrestle our government, to wrestle our country back from this insanity because it, it's simply unacceptable. And so now when you talk with folks, they are on fire in a way that people have rarely been on fire about politics. There's a, there's a clear understanding that we have got to do something different because we can't just let this go down this path anymore. And, and there's a very clear understanding right now that local government is a huge key to that, that we have to start building this back from the ground up. We have to start building this from the grassroots and taking these things back based on the power of us in our grassroots communities, in our local communities. And so it's a wonderful time to be running for local office. 
It is a yeah. wonderful time to be talking about people-powered democracy, to be talking about publicly funded elections. It is a, it is a great time to be running as an organizer in an election because people are ready and excited to get organized and figure out how we take this back. They are, they are ready to get organized, defend what we have, but not just to defend, to say, wait a minute, not only am I not going to let you make these crazy incursions into what I have, but at this point, you've gotten me mad, so I'm saying, I'm going to go get single-payer health care. I'm going to go get the $50 minimum wage or all of these different things because, you know, it's like you, you touched the hornet's nest, and now we're all abuzz, and we're not even going to wait to defend ourselves against this. We are just steamrolling forward, and I love that. I love that passion among people right now to, to get into politics and get into our government and to remake it and to reclaim it and to re-understand what it actually means for us to govern ourselves again. Yeah. Oh, sure. And I think that's – and if there's anything to come out of this presidency, it will be the resurgence of – civic responsibility coming alive each and every day. I see all over social media, including Twitter, that in former impassioned conservative Republicans are stepping up and stepping out and saying, none of this is normal. And that is what we have to say every mm-hmm. single day. Every single day that this yeah. president who is stepping on the very fibers of democracy, that is t- twisting mm-hmm. and turning it to something that is uh, an offshoot brand, a perversion of democracy. Every day, citizens like yourself, like myself, like the you know twenty nine hundred other candidates who are running in Montgomery County for a public office, they have to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have to step up and say this is not normal, and we are never ever yeah. going to allow this to become normal. And that is what I see in this election. It is a movement. It's a movement of like-minded people who are standing up and saying, none of this is normal, but we're going to do something about it, and we're going to apply functioning, working um, positivity in our government. And so yesterday, Brandy, you held a Democracy on Tap event um, in my neck of the woods in Crown. In fact, I was just over mm-hmm. in Crown today. I uh, use oh, Crown. Okay. Go. I, we, Kim and I go there quite frequently. We, we, we eat there. Mm-hmm. Um, we go to Starbucks, we go to LA fitness. We were at Ted's bulletin this morning for breakfast. We go to Paladar, all <laughs> kinds of places. So here's, awesome. here's the question. It's the million dollar question that every candidate is asking themselves in this race for the at large seat. There's, you know, when term limits happen, which by the way, some would argue that it's a good, good thing. And some would argue that it's a bad thing. And I look at I'm both a, sides. I'm a fan of term limits. We can get into that, but I'm into it. Well, so. <laughs> it certainly enables candidates like yourself to run. Otherwise, you may have seen some of the other faces that have dominated the council for so many years. Nonetheless, mm-hmm. when you are asked this question, and I'm sure you, you hear it over and over again, Brandy, there's so many candidates running. There's well-known candidates. There's lesser-known candidates, and there's people who are doing public financing, including yourself, and that's, that's a positive, mm-hmm. I think, in this election. What are you going to do to stand out? What is that hook that is going to draw people in to your candidacy for people to say, aha, okay, she's going to be one of my four when I go to uh, the polls in June – She's going to be one of those four, and I like her. What is the because? What, what is going to be the hook for your candidacy? 
And, and the because for me, this is why I love running as an organizer, because the because is all about relationships. It is all about us getting to know each other, building our community together, strengthening our connections with one another, and using that to go out and shape our politics. So one of the things I love doing on the campaign trail uh, are house parties. And I really like them because, you know, I'm actually, it's, it's funny, people won't always believe this, but I'm an introvert. And so I naturally tend to get a lot of my energy from being alone, except when I get to have smaller, like one-on-one conversations with people that aren't small talk, but are about issues that matter, about who they are, what they want in life, what they're passionate about, um, what they hope, sometimes what they fear. Those conversations are super interesting to me because other people are really interesting. And, you know, we're all whole worlds, uh, you know, unto ourselves that we get to discover. In house parties, you can sometimes get past this, you know, the chit-chat, the basic information, I'm running for county council, here's my issue platform, again, all important, to talking about, like, what matters to people deep in their hearts. What, uh, we had this amazing house party uh, just, a, just a couple of weeks ago. And, it, it, you know, members of my family are also part of my campaign team, which is amazing. And I was sitting down with one of our other campaign team members whose sibling was hosting a house party for us. And so it was kind of these, you know, these two families who were coming together to talk about the things that we talk about in our families, again, about how we are in the world and what we want for our families. And this conversation, we were talking about education. Um, we were talking a little bit about the economy. But we at some point, the conversation switched, and it wasn't just about the issues. It was about, gosh, it was about how we view ourselves as, as people who actually have the power to, to change the world around us. It was about recognizing that there are amazing things that we can do together. It was about thinking about what it looks like when we have a transformed society, when we all feel at home and free to, to be ourselves and express our language and our culture and our gifts and our passions. And it was this beautiful conversation that almost brought tears to my eyes because that's when we get into the stuff that's about who we are as human beings. And, and in the organizing that I, that I do, we talk about, you know, we use this term like discover your self-interest. And, it, you know, it can be very, feel like a very technical term, but really it's kind of you know, what made you and who you decided to be, and then how does that shape what you want in the world? And we actually started getting to that level of conversation and coming out of that, I mean, we were all, one, just thrilled to have met and gotten to talk with each other, and then two, on fire about doing work together to build a Montgomery County and to, to, to shape the things in Montgomery County that really make us all feel welcome and excited and at home and, and free to be here. And, and that kind of conversation is amazing. And that's what, for me, that's what organizing is. It's having those conversations and other people being so excited that they want to have a series of those conversations with other people. And that is how, that's how you build a movement. That is how you build a social movement. It's how you build a political movement. And it's how you get people, it's how you change the narrative about what our politics can be and who can lead in that politics. Um, there's this phrase that I, I hammer on every time I get, this phrase, likely voter. Mm-hmm. And 
It's used in politics a lot. It's, you know, the, the people who, are, who you most often see voting, and they tend to be older, wealthier, white. And the, the theory of politics is that in order to win, you have to focus all of your activity on your likely voters. Because if you, if you, quote, waste time on unlikely voters, then you'll dissipate your energy and you won't win. And this, when people use this phrase, it actually hurts me because I am not part of anyone's picture of a likely voter. People I know and love aren't part of that picture of likely voters. So folks don't come to us and they don't come to our communities and say, we think you should be involved. We want to hear what you think because they, they believe that we don't matter. And mm-hmm. that makes me angry. <laughs> that is why I am running because we matter. The people in my family, my friends, the folks in my neighborhood, we matter. And we are not part of what 2016 is. is We are not going to be ignored anymore. And so I am out here talking about how we connect with, yes, people who vote all the time and are passionate about making sure that we have a just and equitable system, but also changing this whole narrative about who matters in our politics, whose voices should be heard, um, who can be a donor, who can be an organizing leader, who can be a winning candidate. We live in a county, there are tremendous things about Montgomery County, but it is also a county that while being 50% people of color, has a county council that is 77% white and 77% male. There are a lot of good people on county council who you know, I'm excited to know and continue working with. But that also, the system that produced that kind of makeup of our county legislature is not right. And we have to fight that as much as we fight all the stupid stuff coming out of 1600 Pennsylvania. We have to start modeling what it looks like to build a truly inclusive and truly just county here. And that means that we've got to shift some of our assumptions about what politics looks like. So what does it look like out in the – when you're out talking at house parties, what are those issues that people are honed in on? Where where is their focus at? Is it – with infrastructure? Is it with affordable housing? Is it with our school system? Is it with planning? Um, is it with our roads or the taxes that we pay in Montgomery County? What, what's, on the, what's on people's minds? What are you hearing from, from voters? Absolutely. Um, I think probably the top four issues that I hear from voters, it's talking about housing, transportation, the economy, and education. These are, yeah. these are things that are right up in people's minds and sort of land use planning and development honestly kind of encompasses pieces of all those. So that's kind of a thread that's running along everything. Um, but everybody's recognizing that we have a housing crisis in Montgomery County and, and it's at crisis levels. I and mean, we really need to understand this. Does, does, and it's let me ask you just, this question and let me just follow up. You say a housing sure. crisis. Does that mean Brandy that it's just too expensive to live in Montgomery County? It is absolutely too expensive to live in Montgomery County, and it's too expensive for huge swaths of people. Um, and it's also really hard to actually find housing sometimes that's appropriate for your family. It's kind of the other piece of this. Um, and this is true whether or not 
you are living below the poverty line, whether you are working a couple of jobs and you're above the poverty line but still struggling to make it, or whether you're a family that's been relatively well off and you've got your home and you're settled, but your kids would like to live here in Montgomery County someday. And there's no possible way that they could buy a house in certain places on, you know, even on some of the prevailing salaries that you have here in the D.C. metro area, which is a fairly wealthy area. Um, so there are, there are seniors who are trying to figure out how they continue to be able to live in Montgomery County on fixed incomes, and they've been here a long time. And so all sorts of people are, are struggling to be able to come into or to stay in Montgomery County when we've been here. And we are, you know, you can look at all sorts of stats about both housing production and housing affordability. And this has been a problem for so many years, and it really is at this crisis level. Um, so that's one of the things that, that a lot of different kinds of people are worried about what we're going to do about housing in Montgomery County and what happens if housing continues to become so unaffordable that nobody can come and live here. You know, eventually counties decline and kind of die out. Cities decline yeah. and die out if they maintain that. And, and nobody wants to see that happen in Montgomery it's County. So you talk a lot, a lot about housing. Um, it's a lot of money. Yeah. I, I I have to tell you, I uh, <laughs> living here in North Potomac, um, and look, we're we're lucky that um, we've we have made I think mostly smart financial decisions, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. um, you know, I always tell people that are involved in politics or even not involved in politics. Look, most people are one or two paychecks away from being homeless. And it's just the truth. And I, mm-hmm. I and as scary as that sounds, um, and as for as wealthy as people are here in Montgomery County, we do have a housing crisis. And um, mm-hmm. it's you know, I, I, you go around and you see some of these prices on these houses, and then you go up north to, let's say Frederick County, and then where I grew up in Washington mm-hmm. County, and people are mm-hmm. you know for the same size house. Um, with less traffic and for basically the same amenities uh, and much less flow of, of congestion, uh, you're getting houses mm-hmm. for two, three, four hundred thousand dollars cheaper. And it's no wonder people yeah. are moving out and they're going up to Washington County and they may, they may make the trek every day down into the city, mm-hmm. which then leads into public transportation. They'll hit the metro station and then that's why you see exactly. the crowding of our, of our infrastructure here on 270. Uh-huh. And look, people just can't afford to live in Montgomery County. And look, I, right. I get it. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it, it's strong. I struggle with the, the traffic situation each and every day. And you mentioned that that's what people are discussing. 495, the beltway, uh-huh. the loop uh-huh. around the beltway. What are we going to do? And uh, the governor has proposed a plan and the county council members and the county executive candidates are talking about the plan. And what's your plan? What do you think should happen um, with respect to transportation, Brandy? So I think the, one of the number one things we need to realize is that we can't build a transportation system that's solely or sometimes even primarily reliant on roads. And and the reason for that is just that cars, they multiply like rabbits. You give them more room, they 
just more of them come in. <laughs> and this is something, you know, that we've seen, that people have seen in studies of how traffic evolves time and time and time again. So we have to provide multiple ways that people can get around. We have to provide multiple locations where people can go and, and work. So not just everybody kind of coming into one hub of D.C., but you know, being able to think differently about our employment centers and where we set up how people can get to different employment centers around the county, around the region. Um, and, and again, we, we've got to be looking at these multiple modes. So there are, there are things that we may need to do to adjust some of our, our roadways. But focusing on 270 and 495 is not going to get it done. One of the things that Governor Hogan is, is, is kind of being the resistant party on is the conversation about how we sustainably fund Metro, WMATA. And we absolutely need that. In Montgomery County, we need that sustainable, sustainably funded regional transit system to help support our local transit and our economy. And he made a comment a couple months back saying, you know, like this isn't really – important for Maryland, you know, that, that, that WMATA isn't really important for Maryland. And Montgomery County is a huge piece, is one of the economic engines of Maryland, and you're saying that one of its core transportation networks isn't important to the state. Um, so we have to be investing across the board in really solid, reliable, sustainably funded, well-operating public transit that gets people around efficiently. Because right now we've got transit that sort of sometimes works, sometimes doesn't, doesn't always get you around quickly, and can also, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things about the cost of uh, WMATA compared to the cost of other transit systems around the country. That's, that's pretty crazy. Um, I used to live in Boston. I visited New York. I visited a lot of different cities around the country. And the, the D.C. metro is one of the most expensive metro systems I've ever been on. Um, and we can't have this really expensive, not quite efficient, sometimes maybe on fire transit system, and then say, well, everybody needs to get on that or drive. Of course everybody's on 270 <laughs> because you can't be sure that you have other good transit infrastructure to get you to the places that you need. And, you know, it's not just the metro. We need to be looking at the ride-on, what's happening with the development of the bus rapid transit along Route 29, along uh, Veers Mill, um, eventually along Rockville Pike. Uh, we need to be looking at the Purple Line, at the Corridor Cities Transit Way, all of these different opportunities that we have, not only to connect into D.C., but just to connect us across the county so that we can get back and forth. I mean, just getting from Wheaton to Rockville can be a real challenge by public transit because there's not a good way to yeah. kind of go across a bit. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. And getting to... From where I live in North Potomac, right outside of Gaithersburg, to, let's see, downtown Bethesda. For example, Kim, she travels every day, and she works in Bethesda, and it takes her over an hour every day to go back to and from work. That's, let's see, so it's 10 hours a week that we could be doing other mm -hmm. things together with our family. And so that's, yes. that's, that's problematic, and we're looking to thought leaders like yourself and members of the council to work in tandem with our state officials, and we're going to make something happen, what I'm hoping, uh, and that's... Yes, um, absolutely. We, we have to. We have yeah. to, and we have to think creatively about this. One thing 
I want to see us do more in Montgomery County. You know, and I know this partly from, from my background academically and professionally um, as a planner and designer, is that there's a lot of research out there. There are a lot of different ways that other cities and communities are, are trying to sort this out when it comes to good transportation planning, good development planning. We, we need to be going out there learning from that stuff, bringing some of those folks here to help us think a little bit differently about how we do this because we, we are stuck in, in this way of thinking right now that's not getting what we need for our communities. And particularly when you think about the link between transportation infrastructure and development and especially looking um, at the up county. And Here's a- you know, one of the big sources of our transportation challenge is that we've developed tons of areas in the up county, you know, around Damascus, around Clarksburg, and haven't provided the necessary transportation infrastructure so that folks can live up there and not have it take two hours to get back and forth to work. Move on to another issue. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. What are a couple of big ticket items that were in the news recently? The $15 minimum wage. Are you a supporter? I am a supporter, and it, it's been very exciting this month to be able to celebrate that vote and the signing of that bill into law. Uh, I mean, as you know, at the beginning of this year, the beginning of 2017, we weren't sure that we were going to get here <laughs> by the end of 2017. So it's a lot of tremendous, exciting organizing work on the part of Progressive Maryland, who I work with, and so many other organizations um, that, that really rallied folks, worked with legislators um, to craft a bill and to not only have it passed by a veto-proof margin, but to have it passed unanimously, which, which just makes me really proud. I, it, it passed unanimously at the council level, and the county executive uh-huh. did sign the bill and that uh, was yep. a hot ticket item in in the news recently. Now the other issue that has a lot of taxpayers concerned is the 8.9 percent tax increase, Brandy. And so that that was disconcerting for for many people, especially here in Montgomery County residents. That um, nobody wants to pay more taxes when we have a difficult time justifying the the massive tax increase. And part of the reason why the tax increase occurred was because the school system, of course, came to the county council and said, look, we need $90 million, million more mm-hmm. above maintenance of effort. And so right. when, when taxpayers ask the, you know, that, that would be on my mind. And when I talk to candidates, mm-hmm. I, I often ask them, so, Tell me about our education system and what you think we can do to at least cut costs or what is your what is your philosophy on how in local government, what are some of the costs that we can cut but still provide the same level of services to Montgomery County residents? Where is some of the fat in county government that we can cut out that would make it more effective? Yeah, so I I think a lot of times when we talk about the budget and taxes, uh, you know, we want to look at this as like, where's where's the line item that we can cut? And I feel like it's a very narrow way to think about our our budget and how our government functions. Because I think what we actually need to be looking at is, is, and, and, and again, delving in together as community members so that we are helping to make these choices and not just kind of receiving 
these choices for other folks and, and feeling really frustrated that they don't reflect what we think needs to happen, um, it is to look at, okay, it's, not, it's both what we're doing and how we're doing it. And this can be a, a tricky thing to, to talk about with voters because it doesn't always boil down into a sound bite. But it, it's not just about striking line items in particular pieces of the budget. It's really about, in some cases, rethinking the entire system of, of kind of what we assume we need to do to get a, to get a thing done. And you see this actually happening a lot in, in businesses when they start kind of rethinking their, their strategy <laughs> um, about how they accomplish their, their goals as a corporation. And they start to look not just kind of at budget line items, but at, at processes, um, at how information is flowing, at how materials are flowing, at how different people do their work, and, and identifying places where those processes are either not working efficiently, or in some cases you're sort of doing this whole process that actually doesn't really seem to have anything to do with getting the result that you're, that you're talking about in one case. And so part of what I think that we need to do a, a much deeper dive into, and, and there's some of it that's, that's on the legislative side, there's some of it that's also, there's a lot of it that's on the executive side of our county, is take a look at how we are doing things in county government. Um, because one of the things that I think is making people feel so frustrated about the tax increase is that they're seeing more money go to government, but they're also not feeling like that money is producing the things that they want for their community. So people are seeing more money go to education, but they're still feeling really frustrated because schools are still in disrepair or our achievement gap is still huge and growing. And so people are naturally and very reasonably asking the question, well, wait a minute, what is, what is my money going to? And the answer isn't slash the budget for the, the school board um, and for MCPS. The, the question is, what do we need to look at differently in how we educate our children in Montgomery County so that we actually get the results that we want? What do we need to look at differently in how we are building or maintaining schools so that we actually end up with healthy, well-maintained schools? And and this is part of what I think it means for us to engage in democracy and in our self-governance, is to, to pass over what feels like the easy answer, just cut this and then it will be better, um, and to dig into why are we not getting what we need out of our school system and how do we actually address the, the root causes of that problem. Right. So it's not something where there's going to be a silver bullet on education. There, there just isn't. There's not going to be a silver bullet on transportation either or housing or a bunch of other issues. But there are solutions there if we are willing to think outside of what we might be used to when it comes to, to thinking about how we do education or how we do development. And that's part of what I, I bring to the table is, again, a lot of experience in both professional and academic circles, like thinking about and identifying some of these kinds of, of innovations and being willing to, to test things out and to learn from them and then to try and be more nimble about how we respond um, to the things that we're seeing in, in our public agencies, in our institutions. Sure. Um, we have two kids in school, 
uh, both in Montgomery County mm-hmm. public schools. It's on the minds of parents everywhere, and I'm sure that you've been yes. paying attention to what's happening with the Board of Education. That's a major priority is developing relationships uh, between the County Council and the, and the Montgomery County Board of Education. And you know, I have some close friends mm-hmm. on the Board of Education, and I know I, I think I at least know what's what's happening there. And I try to follow that as much as possible. So when moving into the next year, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to talk about education. And I I hope more of the candidates dub themselves. And I don't care how many candidates do it, but um, and stand up and say, listen, here, I'm the education candidate. And that's a passionate issue of mine is making sure that our public schools are the best that they can be. Um, and I know that we're we're talking issues that maybe directly relate to Board of Education candidates, but it's never an inopportune time to talk about the disparity in education. It's never an opportunity. There's always an opportunity to talk about mm-hmm. how we're going to fund our public schools and how that funding yeah. affects our graduation rates and how we can reduce the achievement gap inside of our schools or some al- some alternatives to um, our public schools are making sure that we hire a diverse teacher field and that our kids yeah. are getting healthy lunches and that their schools are being mm-hmm. remodeled on time. And Brandy, I can, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, one of our concerns here in the Wooten cluster, and that's we're, we're smack dab in the middle of it. We have an eighth grader who's heading into high school next mm-hmm. year. And yeah. I've never seen more community involvement with a group of parents and when you tell them that you're not going to be able – that when you ter- tell them one in one breath that their schools are going to be updated with – you know who and they haven't been updated or remodeled since the 70s, and you say, hey, nope, we got this. We're going to follow through. We're going to make those necessary upgrades. And then in the next breath, you say, well, not so much. we got to wait. We have to do it on a case-by-case basis. I went to a board of education meeting – um, last month, um, actually, or maybe it was earlier this month. I can't exactly remember, but nevertheless, there were some heated parents there and some of these yeah. schools, they need the upgrades. And that's where I think mm-hmm. taxpayers are looking at the, the, the county budget and saying, Hey, we just gave, you just implemented a tax increase. Our dollars should be going to fixing some of these outdated schools. So, um, mm-hmm. when you run into, I'm sure you're going to run into that and pay attention to the PTA clusters, pay attention to uh, yeah. the activist moms. They are, that's where people are focused into. That's where the attention is. And Brandy, another thing that you and I, we are, you and I attend a lot of the same events in that I'm covering them and you're a participant and I'm uh, mm-hmm. a spectator essentially. How do we <laughs> reach beyond this the the magical 500 and what i mean by that is we have 500 or so people in montgomery county <laughs> who are the activists yes. who are every event you see the same people and sometimes mm-hmm. the candidates will outnumber the number of interested people or the number of people that you yes. see tend to frequent the same events what is the strategy yes. And getting beyond the 500, that circle, to go outside of that circumference and to go well beyond those 500 and to get into the people who may not necessarily be tuned in 
to local politics now, but how do we reach them? Is it door knocking? Is it literature? Is it mailing? Is it social media? What's that strategy? I mean, how do we break through? Well, you know, I think it's really basic, and it applies both to running for office and to actually governing. You have to go where people are. Um, and, you know, a lot of times in, in these political events, you know, we, we sort of craft these things that are for the, the magical 500, and I, I guess I've now entered that club as a, as a candidate. Oh, and, yeah, you're a member. <laughs> and it's, you know, all of us, and, it, and it's, great. it's great for all of us to be talking to each other. I like a lot of the people that, you know, who are also running, and, and that's yeah. a lot of fun. But... You know, it's, it's the same question that comes up actually in, in community engagement and government. Folks are like, well, we held a hearing and nobody showed up. Or, we, you know, we did this thing and we did some outreach and nobody came. And we have to go be where people are already gathering and organizing their communities, but maybe they're not organizing around politics or around this particular hearing. There are, I mean, the richness of, for instance, faith communities in Montgomery County. Um, this is where people are gathering, and yes, they're gathering to talk about their faith, but they're also gathering to talk about all the other issues that they are experiencing. Um, so many different um, ethnic communities that, that we have here in Montgomery County, and there are, there are clubs, there are all sorts of, of different social gatherings and places and spaces where folks are and where, again, they're already having conversations, absolutely, about education and housing and so on, but they're having them within those communities uh, where they've built relationships. And so we, we, the magical 500, we have to be a lot more intentional um, and put a ton more energy into building our relationships outside of this protected circle where we're all sort of breathing political air all of the time. Because ultimately, again, this is why we are not getting good representation, why people are not feeling um, fully engaged in their government is because they don't have relationships. Like, we, we don't have relationships, all of us political activist folks, with the people that we need to have relationships with in order to actually represent people well, in order to actually understand where the solutions to these thorny challenges that we're facing uh, can be coming from. And if we, don't, if we don't do that and if we just keep kind of shrugging our shoulders and saying, oh, well, nobody's here, I guess people don't care, that I'm, this, is, this is laziness and we can't afford that. We have to be putting the effort into being a lot more present in a lot more places, maybe, and especially in places where maybe we don't feel as comfortable. You know, we have to talk and have some real deep conversations here in Montgomery County about people being willing to cross race and ethnicity and linguistic and class and geographic boundaries to go have some conversations with some people they don't already know. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay, so just wrapping up, and there will be many more of these discussions, and we're tomorrow is Monday, and we all have to go back to work, and <laughs> we're turkey comatose and so i'm uh it's been a it's been a long weekend so you know brandy i'm i'm so happy that you're running i think you're a breath of fresh air and i think you're going to be um a force to be reckoned with and in this um in this upcoming race so i mentioned your website where but i want you to mention it again and then could you let us know where you're going to be in the next um next couple of weeks i know we're 
Um, I know we're bordering the Christmas holiday season and candidates are still going to be out and about and people will be less tuned into politics and more focused on families and get togethers and uh, various other Christmas holiday events. But um, where can we find you and uh, can tune into your campaign over the next couple of weeks? Absolutely. So the website is brandyformontgomery.com. That's B-R-A-N-D-Y, the number four, montgomery.com. That's where you can go to sign up on our mailing list, to sign up to be a volunteer, and definitely to contribute. I mentioned the public election fund where we're participants in the public election fund and uh, that support for Montgomery County residents specifically um, is really important for us to build this people-powered movement here in the county. Uh, you can also find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's Brandy4Moco, B-R-A-N-D-Y, the number four, M-O-C-O. And when you go on Facebook and on Twitter and a couple of other places, I want you to check out um, our thunderclap for Giving Tuesday. Uh, we're doing kind of this big social media burst where folks can sign up to send out a message all at the same time on Tuesday afternoon, Giving Tuesday, to say that they want to support uh, people-powered grassroots political movement here in Montgomery County. So check it out on Facebook and Twitter and go learn more about our thunderclap. And then the number one message that I have for folks is this is our moment. This is a huge election in Montgomery County. It's a huge election in Maryland. Um, as we're looking at the General Assembly as well as the, the governor's race, this is our moment to change what happens in our government, and we have got to seize it. This is our moment in Montgomery County to prove that public financing of elections can work and that it will powerfully change politics. This is our time to say we are going to reengage in our democracy and not let it get taken over by people who don't represent our interests. And I am super excited to work with thousands of people across Montgomery County to do exactly that and to just show, show the state, show the region, show the nation, maybe even show the world that we can do a tremendously different thing in politics and government. So it's going to kind of knock people's socks off, and I'm excited about it. Amen to that. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on tonight and having a conversation. We'll do many more of these. And as the campaign progresses, and there's going to be a lot to talk about in the upcoming months. And I think we're trying to all figure out how the heck we're going to get all of you on the same <laughs> stage. That's the, that's the, I know. that's going to be a logistical nightmare. I don't know how you all have figured that out yet, but when you do, I, I surmise that it's going to be quite the spectacle but that's why yeah. I invite any candidate to come on to a minor detail, and we'll talk policy, and we'll we'll get involved, we'll get into the weeds and some of the issues, and to hash this out. And Brandy, for your for your followers and your supporters, we're going to turn this podcast or this 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 show into a podcast after it's released. So then you'll have have this, and you're uh, welcome to distribute that, and uh, we'll. We'll pick up the conversation again here in the near future. And I always find that doing interviews with candidates one on one, there's it's so much better. And but you know this will have yeah. to suffice. But we'll have to get together and do a one on one interview, and uh, it it really works out. And I think there's a more intimate setting, and we can read one another and uh, have a great conversation. Really go into depth on the issues. So with that, I want to thank you so much for your time this evening. 
And I wish you a great week. And as I said, you are always welcome here. And uh, I hope you do come back. I look forward to it. Thank you, Ryan. This has been a great conversation. Um, I just want to note, if you want to come out and have some fun with the campaign, on December 16th, we'll be at uh, IROC in Gaithersburg uh, having one of our fundraiser power play karaoke events because we figured in the 30-person race, you just can't take yourself too seriously. That's right. (laughs) Well, karaoke is always fun, and so that might be something that I might think about coming out on and doing. So um, that will be great. I look forward to seeing you there. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, you have a great week. All right. Thanks Take again care, for Ryan. coming on, Randy. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, folks. That was Montgomery County Council at-large candidate, Brandy Brooks. She mentioned her website, and go check her out. Uh, there's so many candidates running, and every day a new candidate seems to jump in. And by the filing deadline in February, who knows? It could be uh, for the at-large seats. It could be well more than, who knows, what, 20, 30, 40 candidates? Well, I think there's already beyond 20 candidates. But nonetheless, we're going to weed through these issues. We're going to get, uh, we're going to talk more and more with the candidates and have these discussions. So you know when you go to the ballot box that you are informed, that you are ready, and you know who the best person persons uh, to represent us on the council level. And tonight we, of course, we had one of those candidates, Brandy Brooks, and uh, have gotten to know Brandy uh, over the last couple months. And she's really a wonderful person. So keep an eye on her candidacy. And with that, I'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Uh, we'll be back next week on a minor detail. Um, you can find us on the web at a minor detail.com on the radio blogtalkradio.com slash a minor detail. And we'll be back next Sunday at nine o'clock PM. Have a great week, everybody.